Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Dan Lust, Mike Lawson, and our special guest this week, Pete Nakos. Pete, how's it going on this lovely Tuesday night? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. So Mike and I put our heads together. We tried to come up with the biggest stories in uh, sports law, but specifically in college sports. And I think the biggest story on the docket is Tennessee. And this Tennessee being under investigation comes a week after Florida was announced to be under investigation. And a week before that, Florida State was announced with their uh, kind of, I guess, first official NIL punishment. It does seem like NIL enforcement season is upon us. So who else uh, to have on other than the Pete Nakos, one of our favorite. Pete, what are your thoughts on a, on a really high level about what we're seeing in Tennessee? And, and I guess for the for those that haven't followed, maybe a little bit about the, the allegations and where these violations seem to be centered on. Yeah, my first high level takeaway, right, is obviously the the last 30 months, all we've heard about is, is all these college sports stakeholders wanting the NCAA to, to make a move. And now they're obviously ramping that up. What I find my most interesting is this is the first situation where uh, the NCAA is really going after an IL collective and, and that being Spire Sports Group and the Volunteer Club at Tennessee. And as Tuesday kind of progressed, right, it became more and more clear that this is really circled around the the NIL deal with the the former recruit, top recruit, and now quarterback Nico Iamaleva, right, from California, who signed a representation agreement with Spire Sports in, in early 2022, which was um, then reported on by The Athletic, right, he's, he's um, able to make up to $8 million over three years, and and this was really that first NIL deal that that really, and a lot of people that just kicked off where we are now, right? Uh, it, it sped up the inducement train. It really shifted where college sports is is now. And yeah, and and, and all of a sudden, we're, we're when when the NCAA is trying to figure out if it's going to have employment, uh, what revenue sharing is going to look like, battling court cases. Now appears to be the time when the NCAA is going to take enforcement very seriously and start coming down on some schools. And I mean, we can uh, chop this up even more, right? But Spire Sports is going to fight this. They they brought on Tom Mars to be their attorney, and the the Tennessee Chancellor Don Day Plowman, uh, I believe I'm saying her name correctly, sent off a very snappy email, if you will, I guess, to the NCAA president Charlie Baker um, that came out today. So yeah, things are only ramping what up. What was the what was the word you used, Pete? You said snappy. I was trying to 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 come up with a good adjective. I used snappy. Uh, in hindsight, maybe yeah. I would use the word. Uh, um, yeah, snappy's fine. Snappy's fine. I guess let's. I, I have one question. I know Mike has a lot, but I I know um and I you know full disclosure, the the more we kind of put our hooks into the college sports space, the more friends we have in the space. So Tom Mars has been on the show a bunch. Darren Heitner, who's uh kind of going on a, a Tweet spree as we speak about Tennessee, uh, we know. And um, Mike Caspino, who is the source of some of Darren's ex, uh, he's in the sports world. So I'm kind of familiar with a lot of parties to this. I saw, I guess the report is kind of out there that part of this Tennessee investigation is focused on an individual who is not employed by Tennessee. So right away, you know, your brain could go right to the collective. It could go somewhere else. But we've had this conversation on the show plenty um, for the last you know, two years. The collectives existed kind of on an island. And over the past you know, couple months and, and years, the NCAA has passed regulations to basically put some level of onus on the school to look after the collective. Now, this 
my understanding is that these allegations occurred really in the, the dawn of the, the NIL era, really early on, where some of these levels of required oversight for the University of Tennessee were not really in place and, and really for all schools. Pete, w- what are your thoughts just as someone that's really paying attention to every, you know, drop that, that occurs, every piece of news for the NCA to try to kind of retroactively punish Tennessee for the actions of their collective? Do you think that's fair? Seems like we're, we're, we're getting into the thick of it between this and the Florida allegations. The NCAA has kind of been upfront from the beginning that they are going to retroactively possibly punish some schools from my understanding. So am I surprised? No. Do I kind of think it's a low blow? Yeah. I guess that's kind of how things are, though, at this point. I guess my other takeaway, too, Dan, that that is probably noteworthy is, I mean, right, like, the, the collective at Tennessee is, like, super, like, they are one of the leaders in this space. Like, there's no questioning that they're one of the richest. One of their co-founders, Hunter Bedore, has really been the the leader behind this collective association, right? Like, the 2025 collectives that have come together to form this trade association they've been very open that they want revenue sharing for athletes so the athletes becoming employees and yeah it's it's quite the the storm that is kind of gathering in knoxville and and a lot of the power players and nil are, are very much involved in this pete as always you know as dan said we love having you on thanks for joining us on a late tuesday night here we've talked about the potential for investigations and punishments before. And even last year, uh, we're probably going back a few months, we talked about, you know, these guidance, these guidelines that the NCAA was trying to create with the NILs and the collectives and the communication between the schools and the collectives. And I I distinctly remember a conversation that we had where it was like, it's basically a game uh, of chicken where is the NCAA actually going to enforce this? What was their rules going to actually be if they couldn't implement any sort of enforcement or investigation? So it was kind of like a wait and see. And what you just said kind of resonated with me because we also talked about this, Tennessee's collectives and Tennessee itself has one of the one of the biggest, you know, a- an active, most active kind of collectives in the nation where those are the ones that the NCAA is going to have to go after and those are the ones that are going to try and push the boundaries on what is, you know, within the guidelines. I mean, we're still, and Dan said it too, we're still very early on. I mean, as as, yeah. as as much as we're, you know, two years into it now, coming on three years into it, we're still super early on because we don't have any sort of set rules. We're still in the kind of like middle stages of like, yeah. what is the right and wrong way to, to activate here? Now, what I'm seeing, I mean, and, and I want this is when I'm getting to my question here. What, what my, I'm curious, what your thoughts is, is it's kind of these these investigations are are merging between nil rules and impermissible, you know, booster relationships and, and you know the communication between boosters and athletes because because that's always been NCAA violations and that's always the, right. the, the inducements to get student athletes to come to school. That's always been, you know, a violation and still will be, and it will be forever. So it was, I think the NCAA's way of trying to navigate on what the relationship is as a collective with the school versus a booster who kind of like sits in the middle or maybe sits on the outside or maybe considering collectives boosters, who knows? Because boosters, you know, boosters are within the collectives themselves. So what, what is the NCAA's kind of goal or what do you, what are your thoughts on, them trying to now, like you say, retroactively create these investigations and do these because now we're seeing it with Florida. We saw it with Florida State. Yeah. 
Now we're seeing with Florida. Now we're seeing with Tennessee. They're going after the bigger ones. And, and that's what we kind of talked about. Is, is that going to be the trend? Are we going to see the top schools have these investigations because that's going to scare some of the, to the mid, the mid-sized schools uh, to the smaller schools? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the place to start, right, is everyone I've always talked to, uh, and I've covered NIL now for I think it'll be like two years in June, right? Everyone I've ever talked to has said nobody is going to take the NCAA seriously unless they make an example of a power player, right? For the last two, three years, whatever it is now, NIL collectives have operated with this, almost this motto of like, hey, unless the NCAA comes pounding through my effing door, I'm going to do whatever I can to compete in college football and college basketball and make sure that we win championships because my donors could care less. My donors will be more pissed off if we don't win, right? I mean, that's the return on investment. Like, I can't tell my donors to give me money and then us not be aggressive because we're scared of the NCAA. So, yeah, the NCAA is stepping in. Uh, they're finally kind of throwing around their weight. I know that that Tennessee is definitely going to go to great lengths to defend themselves. And, Mike, I think the other thing that's really important to mention here, too, is, right, like, I had someone ask me today, like, hey, like, what if, like, the NCAA doesn't do anything? And I'm like, listen, the reason why this is out here right now is because the NCAA wanted it out there, right? They wanted it public. And the notice of allegations, like, it's not a maybe. Like, those those are definitely coming. Like, that is the next shoe to drop in this is, is the NCAA is really going to show what they have on Tennessee. And obviously, it, it circles around Nico, but it's not just about that contract, right? Like, the New York Times reported today that the NCAA is looking into the boosters at Tennessee, possibly flying him to Knoxville when he was a recruit, right? That's it. That's the inducement that we talk about. So, yeah, I think while it, it, it is, right, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like, so so part of it is ironic that now the NCAA tries to do something, but at the same time, they have been building evidence, and, and now they're ready to kind of try to come down on Tennessee, and the volunteers might smack right back. Yeah, they've got to come down on the big schools if they're actually going to be taken Seriously, I agree. I 100% agree. And and I wanted to pull up the some of the interim NIL policy like language that the the, the NCAA has here. I just want to read it off because because again, it, it, they're like they're merging the boosters and recruiting with NIL because obviously the biggest thing that that we're dealing with here is whenever you have cuz cuz it's not and and I think this is what Tom Mars is kind of going at and 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 I can pull up his, his statement too that he released as well. It, it's right. not it's not the the actual contract or the the collective you know putting out the nil you know deal that's an issue. It's whether or not it's contingent upon this enrollment, right? That's the the, the inducement. It's like we'll give you this deal if you come to Tennessee, right? That's right. that's the piece that the NCAA is trying to really hammer down on. And as right. soon as you have any sort of communication and the way I see it, I think the way that it probably would naturally flow is you probably have some sort of recruiting going on and you probably yep. have a booster and an NIL also talking with them. Well, how is an NIL making a deal with this athlete, not an inducement naturally, right? That's, I think that's yeah. a huge conversation that's going on. And that's why a lot of people are saying that this language is not fair because how can you allow a collective to have these conversations with a prospective student athlete and it's not inherently a, a, a some sort of inducement, right? It's yeah. like, obviously if there was some sort of like language or if somebody comes out with text messages, right, of like this is a contingency, like we'll give you this deal, you come yeah. to Tennessee, that's a deal, right? 
but just the 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 a booster or an nil you know you know collective saying like hey like we've got a lot of options we've got great options you know we can give you this we can give you this and then there's like stuff that's kind of compounded on top of that where it's the recruiting the yeah. flying flying them out to like have a you know a, a showing and stuff like that so like I said before, these collectives are kind of playing chicken. Is there a way that these collectives can keep doing what they're doing and it not be considered some sort of inducement? Yeah, so I pull up Tom Marsh's statement, right, to, to give a, a full answer here. So what Tom stated tonight on social media, right, he's the attorney for Spire Sports. He's making the argument that for starters, the, the contract writes out, right, that it is not an inducement and the contract is not – binded towards Nico enrolling at any particular institution. And the reason why I think collectives can continue to operate this way is Spire Sports signed Nico to a, a representation deal, right? So in 2022, this athlete was able to sign NIL representation as a high school athlete in California. And that's the exact argument that we're going to see play out here that the NCAA has no grounds to, to rule against Tennessee about this specific contract because it wasn't an inducement. It, it was more of a, a marketing deal. But the, the really interesting thing here, and, and, and Tennessee was maybe the first to do it, um, and now it's it's super commonplace, and I get contracts sent to me all the time. This is a rights agreement, right? So, like, Tennessee now owns part of Nico's NIL rights, right? Like, I'm not going to name other schools who do this, but, like, this is extremely popular, and a very interesting way for Tennessee to be able to say, like, hey, we're going to control your rights. We're going to have the money flow through us. We'll do marketing deals. But, like, th this is a very creative way to do this. And a lot of collectives set up their deals like this. I'll jump in quick. And, and I was having a conversation with another one of our conduct team members. Um, I, I represent a collective, um, and I won't, I won't name it, but. This concept of a collective owning a piece of your NIL and having some exclusivity is not, I don't want to call out anybody, but I'm seeing some discourse on social media. This this, this is a, a terrible thing. This is horrible. How dare a collective have some attachment and almost act like, almost act like an agency, so to speak. You know, you have to think about it practically, right? If a collective is investing, I'm going to make up a number, right? A million dollars in a particular athlete. And, and I've... I'll go back to the inducement in a minute, but I just want to talk about the the general, the business decision behind what Spire Sports is doing, what other collectives are doing around the country. If they're investing a million dollars in you and they want to be able to control your marketing rights to some extent, maybe they should have, right, exclusivity over you in that particular jurisdiction, supermarkets, bowling alleys, bars. You know, if those, if the athlete is then allowed to go around to any local establishment and they don't have to work through the collective, it's very hard for the collective to get their return on investment back. So if the, if those entities, the bowling alley, the grocery store, they want to pay the athlete, they pay it through the collective. It's good for business for all the local businesses if the collective has power because they have some ability to maybe, you know, influence athletes' decisions on where they want to go. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying that these are, all inducements but if you know that tennessee has aspire sports and, and I, I can i'll just reuse them but there's any number of huge collectives around the country and vice versa we're not going to bring them up on the show but there are we'll say collectives at other schools that aren't viewed as so highly that uh, people some of my friends at a certain um alma mater are very, very nervous about uh their collective so 
you know, for Spar for Spar Sports to have this agreement with Nico, and I read Tom's statement, it looks like at least the way I read Tom's statement, and, and he can certainly come on the show and tell us if we're not reading it right, that no matter where Nico went to school, they were going to have a piece of his earnings. So, you know, if Nico goes to Tennessee because of that deal, cool, but this is not a deal that specifically requires him to go to Tennessee. So, and I guess this is the last point, and this is really my core repeat both for you. I think this is right. I mean, the fact that you call, you say something, this is not an inducement. That doesn't really have any binding or, or, or legal effect. Like if you just say yeah. something is not an inducement, that doesn't mean anything. But as Tom has laid out in his tweet, Tom must be using like some form of editing because it's like I've never seen Tom. Tom has very creative hosting skills. I don't know how he did that. Yeah, I, I see what Tom is saying. And um, I respect it. I, and, um, you know, I I hear some things I hear. I, I hear, you know, little tweets and little birdies but i uh my sense is that we are going to be hearing a lot more in tennessee you know in the next week or so so yeah that that one got a huge reaction um does anybody else have anything in tennessee i want to talk about florida a little bit as well i i guess one last thing i'll mention about tennessee is like the one thing i'm going to be looking for and this isn't exactly in the courtroom but right tennessee's going to fight this so are other schools going to get involved? Are we going to somehow see some sort of a class action against the NCAA? Um, if the NCAA tries to go try to punish like school X or Y, right? Does does do they also sue the NCAA? Does this mark the beginning of the end for the NCAA? Right when members start suing their their governing body, that's what I'm looking for. I'll say this quick, and then I'll, we'll go into Florida too, because I, I don't want to make sure we're, we're not, you know, picking on Tennessee too much. There has been this kind of weird discourse in certain states. I know, um, Pete, you would know this. What was the old Texas A and M's AD? He went to uh, Ohio State. Ross Bjork. Was it Bjork. Ross Bjork. Yep. Yeah, he had this comment that flew under the radar, like, you know, if there's a conflict between state law and the NCAA law, we intend to comply with state law. That's always been the battle that we've been waiting for, for someone to say. NCA, you have no power over us. If state law says we can do it, we can do it. It didn't happen in the Miami situation. Um, that was basically this time last year because Miami took a negotiated resolution. It didn't happen with Florida State because they took the negotiated resolution. We're waiting for that one school to say, you know what? I'm not accepting the jurisdiction of the NCA. We're going to state court on this. And, you know, we, we have it on our list of topics. Mike, I know you have some questions on it, but. When you have the Department of Justice weighing in, you have attorney generals weighing in, it's not that much of a stretch to say that some school is going to lean on their attorney general and say, you know what, we abided by state law. Who is the NCAA to tell us, you know, we've done anything wrong? So with that said, let us move over to Florida. Actually, I actually think we had you on this episode talking about Jaden Rashad. I think it was your debut appearance on our podcast basically a year ago. Um, and it was so funny. We did a year-end roundup for 2023, like top stories of 2023. And somebody suggested Rashada. And I'm like, that was in 2023, Jaden Rashada. <laughs> Crazy. It feels like it was years That's ago. Nuts. For the, uh, the kind of lapsed uh, listener, those that kind of forgot, or maybe the new listeners, can you fill us in on um, the Rashada situation and, and what you're understanding from Florida, how closely this, these, you know, allegations or this investigation ties to Rashada specifically? Yeah, so let's go back to November 2022 when Jaden Rashada right flipped from Miami to Florida. And, I mean, 
we could really dive into it and, and we'll have this conversation for another day. But I mean, NIL and Jaden Rashad are tied at the hit dating back to his commitment from Miami um, with attorney Mike Caspino going on the record and saying he could have made more money at Florida. Um, but yeah, Jaden Rashada, highly touted quarterback flips from Miami to Florida in the like final at, at like 1 a.m. on some night in November after major Florida booster Q Hathcock is like live tweeting leading up to the announcement roughly a month later or just under uh, less than a month actually his, his contract with the Gator Collective that he had signed right before he officially announced his flip to, to Florida was voided. He was set to make $13.85 million. He uh, ultimately made the decision to ask for his national letter of intent to be withdrawn from the school, and he transferred to Arizona State. I covered this minute by minute, was under a lot of fire for a second about did Jaden Rashada ask for his NLI release and all that, and, and ultimately he did. And I, We can dive into this one here, guys, but obviously, right, Jaden Rashada is the first true testament of NIL gone wrong and everything that an athlete has to watch out for in this day and age. So we've talked about Florida State. We kind of pass it. I'm going to circle right back to Florida. It, it kind of ties into both Tennessee. Now, Florida State received two level two violations, three game suspension in the 2024 season for uh, their offensive coordinator, Alex Atkins, two year show cause from the NCAA, two years of probation for Florida State, three year disassociation from the booster, one year disassociation from the NIL collective. Is that going to be the framework? That's now precedent, right? Is that going to be the framework that lines up Florida and Tennessee? No, I don't think so. I think Pete Thamel reported today for ESPN. He's heard a level one and level two violations at Tennessee. Maybe that that gets negotiated to level twos. But yeah, I don't. I don't think that will always be the case. Dan, I know you asked me to kind of break down what I know about what's going on in Florida right now. I'm just getting back to that real quick. It does circle around Jaden Rashada. Matt Baker from the Tampa Bay Times was the first to break the news that there's an NCAA inquiry. Some of my top sources in NIL have all been interviewed, right? That the NCAA has like been interviewing about Jaden Rashada for nearly a year now. This is not new. The investigation has already started. So yet again, like Tennessee, I, I, I'm sure the notice of the allegations are not far off and that this is another case that we all need to keep our eye on. If they've been interviewing people for a year, what was the new news that Florida's under investigation? Did we just find out about it? Is that does that explain it? Florida, Florida, um, from my understanding, responded to do a freedom of information request that was included some paperwork that showed that the the NCAA had um, notified them of an inquiry. There were Rashada based interviews beforehand before there was an official investigation. Is that fair characterization? Yes, I know of a few people who have sat down with the NCAA and talked about Jaden Rashada dating back to this past summer. So uh, again, uh, we you you've Pete, you've covered this, and I think you were probably one of the first people on the scent. I, I mean, this is really where I first found out about you. Um, and if you didn't say it, I'll say it. I think this is kind of where you kind of emerged from the noise of the NIL space and became Pete Nakos, the most famous Nakos in the entire Nakos family, more famous than Max Nakos for the time being. I was going to get a reference in. Don't worry. I, I had it on my list. Kid, let me just say one thing, oh. Dan, just to build on this, and this will help. The U.S. school president, Ben Sass, received the notice of inquiry on June 9th, 2023. So that lines up with the timeline I'm, I'm talking about. 
just this to add on this, um, you know, it would be foolish to assume that Jaden Rashada was going away with numbers being reported as high as a $13 million offer. And from my understanding, and I actually think you told me this, that um, Jaden Rashada accepted $0 when he uh, matriculated to Arizona State because he didn't want to set, um, I think this was, you can tell me if I'm wrong, his market yeah. value at Arizona State. He wanted to put a zero on it so it didn't impact that $13 million valuation. So I see you're nodding here for our, our podcast people, but you know, you'd be really uh, foolish, again, double foolish, if you represented Jaden Rashada and you're within the statute of limitations and you were going to make $13 million and now you have $0 million. One would say you might have 13 million reasons to investigate this and see if there's a potential cause of action against a number of big players in the speech or in the space. So we, you referenced the uh, Gator collective rest in peace. They no longer exist, but um, you know, uh, there's other Florida entities out there. So I've, I've always watched the Rashada stuff very closely, you know, not to say that the 8 million in Tennessee is Trump change, but the Rashada one was really, I guess, as you, you kind of nicely said, really the touch point of, uh, you know, the NIL ever gone wrong. Yeah. And, and I guess the other thing I'll add to right. is like, I'm stunned that Jaden Rashada has not taken action against Florida. It's January 30th. I think news broke January, like 11th, give or take 2023. Just speaking to some sources, like I've always thought that Jaden was going to take legal action and, and he's chosen not to. And, We'll be interested to see if if that ever kind of comes back as the NCAA carries on with its investigation. And again, this stems from not just the fact that there was an NIL collective involved, but it was offered an inducement of upwards of what we're getting reports of $13 million to sign with the Gators, right? That's that's like the, the big no-no, and that's what we're right. saying. And the one thing to clarify too is right, like I, I mentioned the Gator Collective and the deal, but the the from my understanding, the investigation does not center around the Gator Collective necessarily. It centers around Hugh Hathcock, right? The booster I mentioned, who was heavily involved in all this, and then uh Florida staffer who was the director of player personnel and involved in, in this dealing as well. Right. And it's almost as if it's just a way to get in involved with florida to see all of their recruiting it's it's like a it's just a stepping stone and and if there's more that they unearth from the investigation about how collectives boosters were involved in general with their recruiting if at all if any i'll add one thing really quick pete and you mentioned it and i, I think it's a good kind of spot you know we would tend to find out a lot about what happened with rashada if there is a lawsuit filed my understanding in florida which i believe would be applicable here five-year statute of limitations to sue for breach of contract. If Rashada goes on a trajectory where he's a first-round pick, maybe he's like, you know what? I'm going to make so much money as a pro. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry about my reputation being harmed. But what we haven't sat in, and, and uh, you know, the truth is an absolute defense in the law. Rashada had an awful year as a freshman at Arizona State. Arizona State as a program didn't have a good year. So wherever Rashada was getting a $13 million reported offer as a freshman he's not there anymore so i think after seeing what happened with rashada you know assuming he doesn't have a Jaden daniels type transfer out of arizona state and having a big year i think this lawsuit becomes more likely with each passing day so yeah we haven't heard the end of it 
But yeah, obviously, all all eyes on the SEC for the time being. Pete, we had Florida State on the list. I don't know if you have anything else to add, but Tennessee and Florida are the two topics we wanted to cover. Anything else in the current landscape that we have not hit on that you think is important for our listeners to know? Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll hit on, and I know that we talked about it a little bit before the show, and apologies, I'm, I'm taking this thing off track all of a sudden, but on top of the NCAA investigations and the House case and the NLRB hearings, I think that we all need to pay attention to uh, the NCAA transfer portal rules, right? And and that lawsuit, and obviously the DOJ got involved. I think we're up to like something like 11 state attorney generals now getting involved. I know in the meantime, a lot of athletes are impacted by this. And like, there's a lot of football players right now who are transferring multiple times and and are going to play next fall because of this. My biggest thing to watch though here is I could somehow see this lawsuit really just opening up the transfer portal to, to a point where maybe there isn't ever like a, a limitation on how many times you can transfer and, I don't know all the legalities behind it and and Mike and Dan, you would have a much better guess at this than I would, but like I could see this getting to the point where it would become very clearly in the courtroom that athletes should be treated as employees. Yeah, it's definitely I can I can touch on that. It's it's definitely up there, right? It, we every time we talk about the NCAA, there there's like they're fighting a, a war on like five fronts, right? That you have House, which is, you know, this backlog of, of athletes who had potential earnings because the the limitations on on earnings at all for NIL. You've got the employment status attack at Dartmouth. You have the employment case, Johnson, for employee status for athletes. You have the NLRB with USC. You've got so many different things that the NCAA is attacking. I I agree. I think that I think the DOJ and you accidentally said DOG, and I think that's funny because now yeah. the dogs the, the dogs are in the fight now. The the DOJ <laughs> is is completely backing. Well, I think it's eleven attorney generals, state attorney generals now, going against NCAA's transfer portal. And I mean, we've had conversations about so many different athletes who had valid reasons for transfer that were, you know, denied because they've already transferred once and there was exceptions. And and when they opened the portal, they, they, you know, when I should say when they closed the portal, they've been really strict about this again. So in terms of an antitrust, because this, uh, this breaks down, this is an antitrust case. It's a civil antitrust lawsuit against the NCAA because they're restricting these athletes from, you know, really doing what they have the freedom to do, move around as college athletes. And, you know, it, whether or not that goes again, that goes towards the amateur status of an athlete. I mean, now that's that's in the wind because these athletes can make money and and are making money. So it's kind of a way to curtail other forms of inducements. I mean, we saw this when the NIL world exploded, where it was a race to the bottom, where all these states were creating NIL rules because they wanted athletes and naturally wanted athletes to come to their schools. And we've talked about that before. So, yeah, I mean, the DOJ coming in is is a huge update for that case. And obviously, you know, strength in numbers, we've got, you know, 11 district attorneys. Now we've got the DOJ. It's more just, you said it before, the beginning of the end for the NCAA. I think the beginning of the end was July 1, 2021. But, you know, it's it's really just a, 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 a quite a fall from grace that the NCAA has had because they've been this all-empowering body that's governed college sports as a whole. And now they have 
I kind of out of the, from their own doing, you know, no more power. I mean, the power has has since shifted, and they've they've tried to take the hands off approach here. So, I think I think this is a a really big deal for the restraints that the transfer portal puts on these athletes, and and now this is just going to ramp up even more. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, let's do this. We've had you for long enough. A reminder: podcast sponsored by Themis Bar Review, top bar prep company in the galaxy. Okay, so as we wrap this episode, um, I think all all three really important topics. We'll call this the getting the dawn of the NIL era. Listen, this is a college sports episode. We talk about uh, talk about the pros, obviously. Uh, big betting weekend this past week in football. We went from four down to two. So much for that NFL script. Mike Krepchenko was on here last week saying, "Oh, they had the rewrite of the script." So, anyway, you get the Chiefs. We have the Niners. Mike, do you have a pick for the Super Bowl? I didn't get a copy of the script at the beginning of the season. It, it's it's too it's there's too much happening for the Chiefs Nation right now for it not to be the Chiefs. Uh, I think the 49ers should have lost the Lions, and the Lions had the biggest choke job of all time. So I, I'm just going to say the Chiefs. Power of the Swifties is taking over the NFL. As the listeners of this podcast will know, I'm a Bills fan. I am not a fan of the Chiefs right now. Generally, I'm okay with the Chiefs. So they knock out the uh, my Bills. Um, my firm represents Zay Flowers. We do Zay Flowers' work. He could have been the superhero of all superheroes of the Super Bowl. He could have two touchdowns. He could have a buck 16 and then fumbles at the goal line because of an amazing forced fumble um, by the Chiefs. So I am not a fan of the Chiefs. That said, we do our research here, and apparently, as does Peter Schrager at the NFL Network, he's picked the Super Bowl winner five consecutive years in a row. That's crazy. Uh and this wow. year he has picked the Chiefs. So you know what? I guess I've been against the Chiefs. Literally, I, I bet on the Dolphins. I bet on the Bills. I bet on the Ravens. We're gonna go with the Chiefs this week. I don't like losing money. We're gonna go with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, who might already be, uh, at least with accolades, he might already be a top five quarterback in the history of football, which is insane. But I'm not betting against Mahomes, especially uh, getting points. I'm not gonna do that. Plus, I did see that in 2017 when they were building. The stadium in Vegas, one of the construction like supervisors took a picture of him holding a Chiefs Nation flag and buried it underneath the stadium, saying that, you know, like wow. he's a Chiefs fan and he was putting it in there. So that the it's been set in concrete since 2017. I'm going with the Chiefs here. We got Chiefs, Chiefs. We got Chiefs. I'm going sweep. with the Chiefs here. That's what. Yeah. Any, I mean, any it's, reasoning it's... beyond just going with the flow? Well, I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes. I think we've reached the point now where you, you can, just you have can to go give... against this. The it, w- w- lawyers no. embrace debate. If you want to take the Niners, we'll, we'll we'll do this right here, Pete. No, I'm with the Chiefs. Then I think we've reached the point where Mahomes is. You can't pick against Mahomes. I mean, the NFL. If if they could bet on this game, they'd like to bet on the Chiefs just so the Taylor Swift storyline can come together. Speaking of betting, we didn't cover it. Kayshawn Boutte, Taylor Swift getting a. Uh... Uh, getting engaged in the night of the Super Bowl. I'm seeing some fun bets, but we'll save that for another, another episode. Uh, Pete, fantastic job. Mike, as always, uh, this is like an OG podcast. Mike and I, we've been we've been going back since like 2020, Mike? July 2020? March of 2020. Wow. What do you think about all these young whippersnappers coming in here, the sports law board, Mike? Do, do you remember this? Do you remember being one of the inaugural members of this show? 
I do. I remember it. No, it's great. I'm I'm so happy to see that we've got so many members and, and you know, and now we've been going for so long. Like I'm so, you know, appreciative of, of, you know, of you, Pete, like we've got so many people that we can call like last second to kind of come on and we can cover a lot of different areas of the law. So appreciate it. I love it, man. Thanks so much for having me. I guess as we finish on this note, we started with me and Mike and Wallach on a group chat. It was just the three of us. So it was no big deal. And then as that group chat started to grow, it became really annoying that Mike had a, a green text. So people know what I'm referencing here. Mike is this big Samsung guy. Runes constantly, constantly runes our group chats. Mike, in the new dawn of the sports law era, this new sports law board, I'm not even on it. You're not even on it. So we don't have your Samsung to mess it up. we got a bunch of young, the new bloods. They have group chats. They have group meetings. I'm not even invited on them. That's what's going on in the in the conduct world. It's fantastic. I think that's a good place to end it. We are all on the Chiefs bandwagon. That usually means that we should fade us, but we'll, we'll go with the Chiefs for now. Uh, Pete, thanks again, Mike. And for all of us here at Conduct Detrimental, we will see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Conduct Detrimental.